0: Are you? I am Synergy, a holographic computer designed to be the ultimate entertainment synthesizer.
1: Caleb Gannon
0: spent
2: years developing me.
1: Caleb Gannon
2: made you? Yes, and now I belong to you. I can generate
1: totally sick cube decks like this.
2: an improvement. But that's even better.
0: Fantastic. But Synergy...
1: How will you make sure the decks are synergistic without the draft being on rails? Turn and behold. Look at those cards.
2: And now, Caleb Gannon's final gift. Oh, wow. What an incredible
1: rotting rats. Yes, I am. I get the new I'm really So excited about that. Hello and welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. I am your host Andy, and I'm here as always with my co-host Anthony. Went to art school, but ended up programming computers to make art for him instead. Maddox. Hi,
2: Anthony. Hey, I think that's a pretty normal thing to do. You go to art school, you're like, damn, making all this art is so hard. What if I just make computers do it
1: for me? I think it's probably getting more normal. I feel like it's probably yeah. more students that are using... What was the... Uh, I can't remember the name of the software that you used during school 14 years ago to processing. make... Processing. Processing. That's what, you're that's of, what yeah. it was. Yes. You were a big processing boy back then. You used to make some beautiful stuff. Do you, I, I used, you should do it again. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really hard to make, to be motivated <laughs> and care about stuff. It's it's hard, you know, art is hard because you have to have a, a reason to make it, right? And I feel like the generative stuff, especially, it's like, I mean, you can kind of, what's your muse, you know? What's sparking yeah. inspiration for you? I don't bring that up just to talk about your history as an artist, Anthony, but because we have a special guest on this episode of Lucky Paper Radio. He's a PhD in optical sciences, also a generative artist, Anthony, and a juggernaut of the Cube Draft YouTube community, his powered Synergy Cube is coming to Magic Online from May 4th to May 11th. It's Caleb Gannon. Welcome, Caleb. Hey, what's going on?
0: Thanks for having me.
1: We are so excited to have you on the show. We, uh, you know, Frankly, a little behind the scenes. I try, whenever I get word ahead of time that someone's cube is going to be on Magic Online, I try so hard to get them on the show because I feel like it's the perfect sweet spot for our audience because we have a lot of people that just listen to the podcast because they like... Talking about magic and wanting to hear us talk about game design principles and they just like the way we talk about the, the game. We also have a lot of cube designers who listen to the show. And so getting an opportunity to talk about a cube that everyone listening could go play is like I think we never get to do, right? Like there's only so many cubes on magic online. And the fact that we get to talk about an environment and people can then apply that stuff. Is really exciting. So I pester all the people that I find out they're getting a cube on Magic Online. But I'm particularly excited to talk to you because I feel like your whole sort of oeuvre is very in line with our values here at Lucky Paper. So I think it's going be a great conversation.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like that. And I definitely agree with your objective of working with cubes that are going to be able to play it online. Because one of the biggest problems with cube is like finding people to play the cube or getting to be able to play it online. Because right now, it's hard to do that aside from Magic Online on a large scale. So, yeah, it's really cool to have my cube on there.
1: Yeah, you basically can't. I know some people that like have their entire cube on Magic Online and they will do a draft on some third party service, then send all the cards out to all the drafters so they can build their decks and like manage all that. It just seems like a huge, huge burden. So, really, it's hard to do it in any way that's like officially sanctioned. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about cubes so often and I feel like people kind of have to take our word for how they play because people are not playing our cubes than our audience. But here's a great opportunity to talk about your cube. And then have people actually play it and put that to use. And maybe we'll get some feedback from listeners about stuff that you know worked well for them or didn't work well for them based on what we said. So I'm excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. So we start every episode, well, most episodes, with a pack one, pick one, usually from a listener submitted cube. But obviously this week we will do it from Caleb, your cube. So we have a pack one, pick one generated here that we're going to dive into. Do you want to give people any introduction to the cube before
0: we do the pack one, pick one? Or do you want to dive right in? What makes sense to you? I guess I can introduce the cube briefly before we do the pack one pick one because it's yeah. go for it. <laughs> the the packs are overwhelming to see when you first look at it. So the name kind of explains it. It's a powered synergy cube. It is like a vintage level cube. We have all the mocks in time walk ancestral and all that stuff. But I've removed a lot of the like degenerate single card win conditions. I think the best example is like Oko, where like yeah. it's one card that when it's in play, the game is exclusively about that card. Another one I really disliked was like Hex Drinker. It's just like a a tiny progenitus or whatever. Because the the normal thing with standard vintage cubes was like, you get to like four mana and then you just play something big and win the game from there. What I'm trying to do with my cube is make it so that you need to plan out how you're going to win the game instead of like, oh, I accidentally played Questing Beast off Black Lotus on turn one, and I win the game, in this case, it'd be like... Oops, what an accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you just yeah. have a big creature in your deck, and you just play it quickly, and that's, like, your game plan. This, I'm trying to do something a bit more, like, carefully crafted of, like, if you get Black Lotus in this cube, it's good, but there's no, like, insane turn one play that's just one card. You need to have, like, Moss will go into Storm. So the, the objective is just to require a little bit more, like thoughtfulness and care and it makes the games feel a lot more exciting i guess because it's like i planned this and then it worked how i planned and it was so cool
1: we are obviously going to talk about this a lot more but before we do that let's get through this pack one pick one so i'm going to read the pack and then if it makes sense to you caleb anthony i will go first and then we'll kind of defer to you for what probably the correct pick is you've drafted right, yeah. this cube a lot more than we have so i think you probably have a better insight in here we'll, we'll do our best before you uh before you spoil the answer though so anyway the pack is as follows stomping ground priest of Forgotten Gods. The Meat Hook Massacre, Solitude, Tundra, Anger, Mock Sapphire, Charter Course, Zabaz the Glimmer Wasp, Stomping Ground, again, Hintaturok, Heritage Druid, Tundra again, Esper Sentinel, and Misty Rainforest. There's a little bit of an outlier in this pack, I would say, Anthony.
2: I would say so. Uh, so we don't talk about a lot of powered cubes, but here we are. We have a Mock Sapphire. That's going to be the pick pretty comfortably i think right
1: I, I mean i have to assume i i can't imagine a cube where the sinner i mean obviously we should say mock sapphire i mean it is synergistic it's an artifact it does things in decks that care about having cheap artifacts we see cards like that supported in powered cubes very often so it's not a completely synergy free card but you'll play it even absent any synergy obviously it's just a much better island so i think max sapphire is definitely the pick here what's your second pick anthony let's go one step beyond that just because Mock Sapphire might be a little obvious.
2: Yeah, I- I'm very curious about what Caleb has to say about this, because I know... In this environment, there are a lot of really key synergistic pieces that you sometimes do pass power over something that you know really makes your deck work. My guess is that pack one pick one is still not the spot to do that, but we'll find out in a minute. The next couple of things I'm looking at are Misty Rainforest, Solitude, and the Meat Hook Massacre. Uh, I think those are all pretty similar in terms of where I want to take them because there is a lot of fixing. I'm, I think I'm going a little lower on the Fetch Land, and I think I'm actually going to take Solitude first. There are a lot of combo in this environment. So having some interaction, especially free interaction, uh, could be really critical.
1: I agree with you. Solitude is my pick as well. I don't rate Misty much lower for there being a lot of them. I still really value fetch lands and I will take them very, very highly. Here, it's really close between that and Solitude for me. What puts it over the edge is that I think Solitude is... Kind of in a vacuum, just a very powerful card. I'm very happy to run absent any synergy or kind of combos with it. And as soon as you do have the kind of thing we have going on in modern with Ephemerate and Solitude and other kinds of blink strategies, Ephemerate being uh, one of the key arts for this cube that we see on at least the blog post, that's when it gets even better. So it's a card that has a really, really great floor. And if it's an environment where I can expect to build around it, I really like Solitude as a pick as well. But Caleb, we got to know, what are you taking out of this pack?
0: Yeah. Well, you guys did pretty great so far. Oh, wow. Definitely. (laughs) I'm going to print that out and put it on the wall and frame (laughs) yeah so definitely the pick is mock Sapphire first pack one pick one taking power it's kind of no brainers in that case one thing I want to mention you guys both pointed out Misty Rainforest as the key card but uh, in this cube finding uncolored duels is actually oftentimes harder to do than finding key fetch lands so it is sometimes better to take like a Tundra first and then get Misty because with Tundra like Misty Rainforest Scalding Tarn Arid Mesa all fixed for blue white But if you take the Misty first, then you have to find specifically a blue-white land. So it's a little bit more limiting, I guess, in that case. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's definitely true. I found that in, uh, you know, my environment also, my main cube, Caleb, I also break Singleton for lands. So I have in my 360 cube, two of every fetch land and three of every shock land, no natural duels or anything. And I definitely found in that environment that pack one, pick one, I will still be looking at fetch lands just because they can go in so many decks like... The tundra. I need to be playing blue and white to some degree. For the most part, for that to work, I could do the totally off-color fetch thing, where you know I put it in my white-red deck and I'm using a blue fetch to fix for the white part of it. But for the most part, I'm taking tundra, probably playing some combination of blue-white. But then. I've had lots of pack discussions and draft discussions with other players where, you know, pack two, if I, if I, as soon as I know what color I am, whether that's later pack one or pack two, I'm always taking my first on color duel above any fetch land, right? That's so important to get, turn all the fetch lands on that it immediately, as soon as you know what colors you are, for me at least, becomes a much higher priority than any fetch land. So I think it's a very valid point here. What is the overall breakdown of lands you're running? I know you're breaking singleton on your lands.
0: Yeah, so I'm running three of each fetch. I think I'm running two of Prismatic Vista, the one that, like, fetches for any basic. And then it's two shocks, two duels. And I haven't completely settled on that. I might move to all duels or, like, three duels, one shock. But at least at the moment, and probably on Magic Online, it's going to be three fetches and then four dual lands. And then I'm running I- one of each of the ten triumphs as well.
1: I feel like we could have a 25-minute conversation about just the distribution of natural duels and shock lands in a cube like this. That's something I think about for my cube all the time. Maybe we'll come back to that, though. It's a little bit of a tangent from the actual subject at hand.
0: Yeah, it's a super deep dive.
1: (laughs) So you're also on Sapphire. Is your second pick also Solitude, or is there something else out of this pack that really speaks to you?
0: So Solitude, I think, is probably, like, the most general good card here. So I think it's a great first pick. I think a lot of it comes down to, like, personal preference. The other thing that I look for a lot is, like, what the pack is signaling in general. Because you could also take, like, Heritage Druid. It's just a really strong... Enabler for the elves deck. Like this card enables you to just go like turn one heritage druid, turn two, two elves, have like three mana and just kinda go off from there. And you're not passing any other like elf cards really. So if you want to try and like cut off elves, you could take heritage druid there. But I think Solitude is a great overall pick. Especially for like people new to the cube who don't know like the intricacies of the elves combo. I would do that. And then Anger for me personally is just a pet card. I love that card. So <laughs> I could see. Okay, what's your too, favorite art
1: of anger though? Is it the new art or the old art?
0: Uh, actually, I don't know what the old art looked like. I'm gonna oh, be it's very
1: goofy. It's like a little pot-bellied man, <laughs> like in the in the caldera of a volcano. It's very funny looking to me.
2: Sort of looks like a Star Trek villain. It does have Star Trek <laughs> <villain> <laughs> original vibes, original I would series. Say. Yeah,
1: it's it's a man in a suit that they put like a glowing computer effect over or something. It's a pretty goofy
0: one. I don't know. I guess I'm used to the the current one, so I would pick this one. But yeah, I think overall solitude is a good pick. Misty rainforest probably second. And then the rest comes down to personal preference on, you know, if there's an archetype you like or play better, go for that too.
1: If you want to have us do a pack, one will pick one of your cube of Lucky Paper Radio. You can send a link to your cube to mail at luckypaper.co. Please do include your name and
2: pronouns. You could also send it to Wizards of the Coast. And if you're on Magic Online, uh, we'll
1: <laughs> pester you. That is true. If you want us to do a pack, one we'll pick one from your cube. Submit it to Wizards of the Coast, and then get your cube on Magic Online. Then I'll pester you to come on the show, and then we can do a pack-on-pick one from it. That's the other avenue <laughs> to, get, to getting your cube on Lucky Paper <laughs> Radio. Two, uh, two equal options there. Let's dive into some more detail about this cube, then, Caleb. So you kind of talked about this a little bit, but I'm specifically interested in, I think a lot of our listeners, because the Magic Online cubes are so visible and so accessible... A lot of them are familiar with the Magic Online Vintage Cube or even other cubes like the Live the Dream Cube, which has come back a couple times. Andrea Gucci's Cube, the Mengu Cube, which was on Magic Online and well-received. I know LSB and Gabby have a cube list that was also on Magic Online. All of these are kind of similar takes on like a vintage power level cube. What exactly differentiates your cube from these other cubes our listeners
0: might be familiar with? That's a big question. There's a whole lot of things that are different. I think The first and most notable is the overall mana curve is really, really low. So like with Vintage Cube, you still... I love that. I do too. It just makes playables so much easier to come by. The Vintage Cube and a lot of the other ones, you still get like six and seven mana cards that you're supposed to be casting like Inferno Titan, Primeval Titan, Grave Titan. I don't know. Acidic Slime, (laughs) things like that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I think, the biggest change is I would guess the average mana cost of the MTGO Cube is like three and a half maybe 3. You know, if you're not doing something on the first two turns in the game, you still can be okay. Whereas with my cube, like, your curve, like, you can companion Lurus almost every single time you're drafting the cube, if you want to. If you get it early enough. So, like, you could easily have a curve that's, like, 15 1-drops, 10 2-drops in Lurus, and, you know, just run, like, a 15 land deck like that. I think that's the biggest and most notable change. And alongside that, it's kind of the reason I made the cube as, like, it's synergy-focused. There's no, like, bombs i guess there's like no one card you could just land into play and that on its own is gonna like take over the game like inferno titan is a good example right you you could have like just inferno titan as your win condition and it would be fine but i think the biggest red creature in my cube right now is gadrak the crown scourge
1: it's a three drop right two in a red for that guy
0: yep it is a three drop five four flying that cannot attack unless you control four or more artifact
1: that definitely screams synergy it's written right there on the card basically
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> So in terms of, like, single card win conditions, like, you know, there's always some, like, thing you need to do to enable it or something like that. That's kind of the overall theme that's biggest. The other thing that's very different and people get confused about a lot, green is not ramp in, like, the traditional sense. Because I just mentioned there's no fatties. So, like, there's all these mana elves and there's no, like, Woodfall Primus, Tarastodon, Nissa who shakes the world. There's none of that. It's a elves-based combo deck instead of like a ramp into a big stuff deck.
1: So what are the, the win conditions of that deck then, if not these big giant creatures?
0: So there is specifically Crater Behemoth. I put that one in there. Naturally. <laughs> I mean, that, that one yeah. is in the Constructed Elves deck, so it, it makes sense. Yeah. I don't think it's actually necessary, but I think it's good to, you know, make it easier for people who are looking for a win condition, like that's the one you're typically looking for. So I did make some concessions for signaling, like if there's some type of archetype and people are expecting a card... I'll try and put that in there. So Cradle Hoof is in there. The other good win conditions are like the Elves Payoffs. So uh, Elvish Warmaster uh, is a good one. It has this ability for seven mana. Elves you control get plus two, plus two and death touch. So you can like grow your team that way because the Elves deck can generate tons of mana with like guys Cradle and stuff and just kind of kill them for- with that. Probably the strongest one is Mirror Entity. It's a two and a white Changeling that for x turns all of your creatures into xx's so it is an elf itself but it could just turn your team into like 10 10 elves very quickly and attack and kill them so that's a good one talk Alessar, about cards that look
1: like star trek villains mirror entity big, <laughs> big star trek energy on that guy
2: yeah that one the art on that is amazing <laughs> i'm i'm with you there i don't andy's andy's making a face about it and anthony and i you know we don't see it eye to eye on our our changeling
1: art preferences but uh but i'm glad you two enjoy it there's something there for everybody <laughs> Ha
2: ha ha. So I really enjoyed this approach, especially to green. I feel like when we started playing cubes and Andy was the first one to design a cube, sort of like inspired in a lot of ways by the Magic Online Vintage Cube. For sure.
1: I mean, it's all I knew of cube. Right. I didn't know anything else.
2: And I, as a a green mage, was excited to draft green, but just the decks weren't a lot of fun to me because it was like, yeah, you have to have things sort of come out in the right order and have your right mix of your enablers and your big payoff. And then if your opponent had a doom blade, you're kind of out of luck. Essentially, you're kind of saying a lot of these spells are modal spells. It's like, this is a Cheap creature you can play early, but then it is also your big late game win condition, and your primary game plan is cast a whole bunch of spells and draw a bunch of cards. That just sounds like such a more exciting and fun gameplay to me. You're really not kidding, also about the average mana cost. Looking at the Magic Online Vintage Cube, the mean is 3.2. So about what you you guessed. Wow, that's pretty good. (laughs) Uh and yours is all the way down at two. And if you actually go on Cube Cobra and just use the, the sort by mana cost, not only is it like, wow, there's a huge slant of, all the way to the left side of the screen, but also you go to the right side and it's like, okay, well, you're not actually casting a greater Gargadon or a dig through time for a full cost. So, so the
1: ones that are even bringing your average up are, you know, not right. cards that are actually going to be cast for those mana costs.
2: So yeah, I think on both those points, Andy and I are very much with you. And like, those uh, are we love, we love cheap you know, cards. not objectively good or bad, but that's, they lead to the kind of gameplay that we enjoy more. Well, this is the yeah. thing that I feel like, you know, if you watch
1: people play the Magic Online Vintage Cube, you'll hear people say got to prioritize the cheap cards you're going to have as many expensive cards as you want you got to prioritize the cheap ones and of course us as cube designers it's like well what if they weren't so much more valuable than everything else because there was a overabundance of expensive cards what if you just adjust the cube itself so that these things were more or less equally valuable
0: yeah no it's so much easier than because like a magic online i see decks where it's like you have like five six drops and you can't play all of those (laughs) but if you have like five one drops it's totally fine. So it just leaves. And then you get to, to more... choose the ones you do play. Exactly. And it makes the the big ones you do see like super exciting. In my cube, one of the best finishers in the entire cube, like the strongest card, is Titania Protector of Argoth. She's the one wherever a land is put in your graveyard, you get a five three elemental creature token. Yeah, pretty and, good like, with
1: triple fetches, I would say.
0: Pretty good with triple fetches, pretty good with Zurin Orb, pretty good with Greater Gargadon, we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you do see these big creatures, it's not like, oh man, another chunky thing. It's like, wow, that is an awesome curve topper or whatever from my my deck, so I can use her to win. So it just yeah. makes it feel more exciting, because it's like this rare, large creature that does something cool.
1: Yeah, the other thing about the rogues gallery of green beefy boys, we mentioned earlier, your woodfall primuses and tarasidons and stuff, is that they're kind of interchangeable. Like, you'll just take whichever one you get at the right point in the draft, and it doesn't really pull you in one direction or the other it's like all right i got my big creature that i cast and hope survives and kills my opponent but here your payoffs like titania like mirror entity like the uh, elvish whatever guy they do pull you a direction so your cards you're actually winning with which are the cards that kind of by definition have the most impact on the game are cards that have a pull a gravity to them that doesn't just let you win however which i think is is very much in line with everything we love about designing cubes
0: did you want to hear more about the elf win conditions or I think we
1: kind of covered that unless you want to talk about another one that's particularly special to you.
0: No, that sounds good to me. Uh, Actually, there is one that I want to make sure people are aware of. Finale of Devastation is one of the most reliable Elves win conditions. And it doesn't really take like a spot in your deck. Yeah, what what if your green
1: sun zenith was also a a Crater of Behemoth? Yeah, Not not that you find it, but it also just on its card basically does that same thing.
0: Yeah, so that one I just want to mention for people who, because there's a lot of times we'll see people like, I don't have a way to win the game. And it's like, finale is very reliable you just cast it for 12 and swing for a ton of damage so that one i want to mention at least
1: you mentioned this is a synergy queue we've talked about a lot of synergies already i'm curious if you have in your head like a distinction between synergy and combo and then to make it not just about you know the tedious pedantic uh you know definitions of words which we talk about planning in this show i'm also curious to know like are there any things that fit in that combo category that were excluded from this cube for whatever reason? How does it actually, when the rubber hits the road, what was cut for being a combo that you wouldn't define as a synergy?
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. It is a bit of semantics, but I think there's a clear distinction. I would say combo is sort of a self-contained collection of cards that work on their own. So like a good example is like Deceiver, XR, Splinter Twin. That's a two-card combo. When you play those two cards together, you win the game or it does something amazing. Synergy, I think, is more large or ephemeral. It's basically like a collection of cards that just generally work together. So a good example of Synergy in my cube is like the Artifact Sacrifice theme, where you have cards like Scrap Trawler, which says whenever another artifact you control is put into your graveyard, you get another artifact with lesser mana cost back to your hand. This card is very synergistic with just playing a bunch of artifacts. You don't need to necessarily like combo with this. It just works on its own. But then you can have other things like Mirror Retriever, which is a two-mana card. Whenever it dies, you get back an Artifact from your Graveyard to your hand. And so, like, the synergy of this deck is, like, you just kind of play Artifact, and you can recur them back and forth as much as you want. But the combo would come in where, like, if you sacrifice Scrap Trawler and Mirror Retriever at the same time, the specifics are necessary like you have to be using Uh, ah yes now
1: please describe kci combo in detail (laughs) and don't get anything (laughs) wrong or you're gonna get a lot of tweets
0: (laughs) yeah no well the specifics of it is you need to do it at mana ability speed so nothing goes onto the stack so like if you're casting a spell that's colorless you can sacrifice mer retriever and scrap trawler at the same time then they both die and then you get them both back but that notwithstanding what i'm saying is that's a combo but the synergy is that like Scrap Trawler is just a good card to have in Artifact decks with things that want to die. Mirror Retriever is good to have in Artifact decks with things that want to die. So that would be the synergy. But within that synergy deck, there will be combos of like, these two cards are good together.
1: What I'm hearing is that, for you, the synergy comes into play when the number of cards that interact with this card in a way that is relevant to the tempo and power level of the environment is a bigger pool, right? Like your Splinter Twin at this power level, kind of just interacts with Receiver Exarch or similar. Or a card that's like fungible with Receiver Arc in the combo. It's not like you're going to play Splinter Twin for value outside of that environment. Whereas here, all the cards you've mentioned, and I got to also bring up Oswald Fiddlebender, my my personal artifact sacrifice pet card. I love that, dude. uh, He's so sick. Uh, All these cards, though, they, you know, there's a lot of cards that they get 40% better with. Instead of just one card, it gets a million percent better with. And that kind of change in relationships to the cards is what what makes it synergy versus combo for
0: you yeah yeah i think that's a pretty good distinction it's cards you're just running because they're good in your deck rather than like i'm hoping to draw these two at the exact time and then they don't do anything else with other cards
2: I really like this, thinking about it in this way, where I think often people want to say, define synergy and combo as very mutually exclusive and totally separate terms. And I like this idea that they can sort of just overlap and one be nested in the other. And you can have a a synergistic set of cards. Like there are a ton of combo pieces in this cube that all sort of fit together in a lot of different ways. And that sort of cloud of all these different combos fits together into a synergistic strategy that contains a lot of individual combos.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I I don't want people to be winning the game like the same way every single time, right? I don't want you to run right. like all the tutors Deceiver, X Arc, Splinter Twin and then call yourself like a combo deck when you're really just winning with two cards every time. I want the decks to feel like this like big machine that you've built that kind of like every little piece of it kind of fits together to make this awesome masterpiece that works together whereas like, you know, I draw this one card I guess going back to the Artifacts deck like I draw my scrap caller, and then I can start getting value off of my Oni Cult Anvil, and then you know you slowly put pieces together, and everything works together. Instead of like you draw for, I think one that I cut. He's the three mana zombie that when he enters, you like venture into the dungeon.
1: I think you, I know you're you're talking about the one that just keeps doing it, right? Like it can come back to your hand or something. I, I forget it's the one
2: that yeah, that's, it wins oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. Lurin, uh, the Archlich.
0: Yeah, so that this is an example of a card that I cut for being combo-oriented instead of synergy. Asterisk basically says, when he enters, venture into the dungeon, and if you haven't completed the dungeon, return him to your hand. And so, like, when I first put the card Aluren in my cube, everyone was like, well, you have to put Asterisk in your cube because he wins the game with Aluren. But I didn't want Aluren to be like, well, you take Aluren, you play Asterisk, and then every single time someone plays Aluren, you just die to this one zombie. I wanted to be like, you know, there's so many three mana creatures out there and it's way more fun when you're not honed in on this one card that's always going to win with this. That, yeah, that's an example, yeah. I guess, of a combo that I didn't want to include that probably would have been stronger for the cube, but it wasn't really synergistic because you're not playing this dude in anything else.
2: Well, it would be stronger for the player that drafts those two cards, but it doesn't mean stronger for the cube as a whole, right? It's because that's not contributing to your design goals if it's just creating a, a playstyle that isn't what you're interested in.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true as well.
1: The way we're describing this is definitely my experience of synergy and combo that the two, it's like a spectrum, not like, you know, binary buckets you can drop things into. I I have another cube, Caleb, which is a a very silly, very high-powered cube. I call the Degenerate Micro Cube. And in that cube, I do have a lot of combos, like pure combos. One of my favorites is Bomberman. And there are also a lot of cards that are viable in that environment that end up being just well, I would describe them as synergistic with the combo pieces. So, like, for example, if you have a Bomberman deck and you just take Bomberman out and you put Emery in, Emery Lurker of the Lock, you kind of have a deck that is really no longer a combo deck. It's just, like, a very powerful, value-oriented synergy deck. And so that is kind of true for almost all of the combos. You can, you know, you can flash in World Spine Worm and just win, or you can flash in uh, an Ashen Rider and use it flash as a big removal spell on a control deck. And you can find these, like, synergies that are no longer win the game combos but they all kind of are on the same spectrum so that's definitely what makes sense to me in terms of thinking about this as a spectrum of like wide open-ended to narrow and extremely powerful just kind of immediately game ending
0: yeah no i think that sums it up pretty nicely
1: i've also lately been thinking about magic kind of in terms of like a roguelike or at least you know it's not a roguelike it's a two-player and it's competitive or whatever but the actual like how your deck plays out is very much like a roguelike, right? You have this random information that you kind of play through at it once, it's linear. And when you think about combos or the kinds of strategies you describe that you're trying to avoid, where you have a single kind of win condition where the game are always one in the same way, you can picture this like sort of branching diagram of a roguelike that is always descends upon the same end point, right? You're always going to end with your splinter pin combo. You're always going to end with casting your big Terasodon and making 18 power and then attacking the next turn. And that's really limiting. Whereas if you think of these synergy decks... The ways in which you can win the game, it's kind of like an ever-expanding thing. I can, I can see in my head the kind of like decision tree of how the deck could possibly play out in the potential end states of the game. And it's just so much more exciting when that is a branching situation instead of a converging situation.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like one example that happened that I saw, someone won a game by unequipping a nettle cyst because they had a blood artist in play and like their creature swung for lethal <laughs> one short and then they won the game that way which was cool i thought that's on the very
1: edge of the tree of the roguelike of that game of how it could have possibly gone but yeah it's great i love that yeah that's
2: that's what makes magic so fun it's it's not the like the normal case that's i mean the normal case is fun too but the the long tail is where those really exciting moments are so setting up an environment where you have these options to yeah shrink your creature so you are forced to to block it in a certain way like that is awesome
0: yeah no it's super awesome and the I think from these games I've been playing, I've been experiencing those tail ends so much more. And it's it's a lot of fun.
1: My next question. So I think some players will be surprised to see a card like Black Lotus or Time Walk in a pack alongside a card like, I don't know, uh, Nettle Cyst
0: or... Rotting Rats is probably the one you're looking for.
1: There you go, Rotting Rats. <laughs> you know, be, because you have uh, eschewed these win the game, engine all in one, just like big threats that demand an answer for these more synergistic pieces, it ends up resulting in a very interesting power band across the packs. I'm curious if you can speak to that or just speak to the decision to include power in an environment that is inherently focused on synergy, which I think is somewhat unique. We've seen a lot of synergy cubes in our community and looking at other people's cubes they've designed. Rarely do they include power. So what went into that decision?
0: Power allows for like just stronger synergies i guess and like more unique synergies so i think for me honestly it personally started when i was uh trying to build the second sunrise combo loops and i was like
1: (laughs) that's so good with lotus you gotta have it
0: yeah (laughs) i was like well this is good with black lotus i don't know it just like a lot of the things i saw with a lot of the synergy cubes was the gameplay was a little bit slow and kind of drawn out and i was like a lot of these powerful cards can be really good synergy pieces too I know we mentioned the KCI combo loops, but, like, having a Mox in your graveyard is, like, a really important part of that combo loop, where, like, you can't really... There's just some combos that just don't work when you don't have, like, these powerful enablers. Storm is kind of similar. Yawgmoth's Will Black Lotus is a lot better than, like, using Lion's Eye Diamond. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this experience is, like, people are used to power being, like, you know, I won the game with Black Lotus, but it's because the the strength of each individual card is so low you can easily come back from a situation where your opponent goes turn one black lotus mock if you have like you know a lightning bolt maybe a lava dart and you kill their like goblin welder
1: and other goblin welder goblin engineer or whatever
0: yeah yeah if you like lightning bolt one lava dart the other one you're kind of at even footing so it's like it makes for these really interesting game experiences where your opponent's like throwing all of this power at you and you can stay with them and not just lose the game immediately when they play a Grave Titan or whatever. So that's a really interesting thing. I, there's so many anecdotes or stories of people who are like, yeah, my opponent went turn one Mishra's Workshop into Artifact, 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 and I went Ratchet Bomb. It killed their whole board or something like that. Or Engineered Explosives for one. So that part's really cool. The other thing for me is in drafting. It's just really fun where the number of times power goes late because people are taking synergy pieces over it. Is really interesting and it's not an experience you really get to experience elsewhere where you get like a, you know, a fifth pixel ring or something like that because someone was taking their blood gas over it, you know.
1: I noticed this when I was drafting the cube. I did a couple drafts on Cube Cobra and I had a, I had a pack three pick eight. That had both Time Walk and Black Lotus in it, and I was like, wow, I love this cube. This is great. <laughs> I love a cube that gives me a pick a Black Lotus in Pack Three. That's uh, that's always good news. So you're saying the bots really know how to draft the synergies. I mean, they know how to make me have a good time. The bots are currently programmed for me to have a good time. I think.
0: Yes, yeah, that is what it's set to. The, I will say specifically, <laughs> the bots on Cube Cobra don't do a great job of drafting this cube, so you don't get the same experience as like drafting it in person, where like yeah. you're constantly wheeling late game synergy pieces, but it is common to see. I think I got a fifth pick time walk today when we were doing a draft.
1: I, I had this experience with my Degenerate Microcube Cube too, which has a couple of pieces of power in it, specifically time walk and ancestral recall, which initially players were like, these must be completely overpowered. But the nature of that environment, they're just not. You'd rather have, in many cases, like Gitaxium probe over either of them, even like Pac-1 one, pick one. And so it's funny to watch players that are like, oh, yeah. They they come into this you know community where we've been drafting this cube a bunch and they're like hey, surely you're all wrong you just haven't realized how broken this card is and they play it, and they're like oh yeah time walk is kind of just like a cantrip in this environment like I'm not winning with like <laughs> tempo I have to win with my cards and so no, we just,
2: we decided it's an expedite. Yeah, it's actually, very yeah. specific. Entry.
1: Basically, in that in that <laughs> environment, time walk is for killing your opponent with blightsteel colossus after you've tinkered it out before they can untap and remove it somehow. So that's pretty much what it what it does there. So yeah, it's it's really fun to recontextualize these cards and uh, and see them work in different ways. And th- that to me is like the the best reason to play power is you get to play black lotus as a combo piece, not as a just you know drop your four drop on turn one and then run away with the game because there's a million four drops that can't really. You can't really come back from being played on turn one, but that's not the case here. And so I think it's a really exciting place to play power. The other thing I like about power is that it just makes games go a little bit faster across the entire board, which fast games are also fun. So,
0: yeah. And just the, I think, I guess the variance between speed is also really fun. Like you can have one really fast game and then like a long, drawn out game, it's just less monotonous. Yeah,
2: variance is like a really important part to making Magic fun and creating just like you're saying for all these other reasons. This is just another way to inject a little bit more games play out differently. You're not you're not going to sit down and just have the same experience every draft, which is super important to keeping things fresh and fun. This is why I come back to the roguelike
1: example. Everyone complains about Magic having variance. I'm like, imagine if a roguelike didn't have variance. Like, I just played the one perfect slay of the spire game and I'm done. I played it. There it is. It's like been perfectly chosen. Variance is so important to that. And that, to me, is exactly what any kind of card game is.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Maximizing variance is part of the, the goal of that as well.
1: Power will definitely do that. But in a way that here seems like it would be very novel. You know, it's maximizing variance in a way where it's like, I didn't know I could die to Black Lotus on turn one into these three cards that I've never seen do this thing before, which is at least novelty if you are going to die a, to a Black Lotus.
0: Oh, and the, I think I've mentioned this a bit, but I just want to reiterate, there are some strategies that are like, basically impossible if you can't turbo them out with power. But then once you get power, it it's like an entire strategy that's only possible with like Black Lotus. I think kind of I mentioned Second Sunrise, but there's a couple others that are like it wouldn't be possible if you couldn't do it quickly because it's normally very slow. So it's cool when those like once in a lifetime archetypes come out of the works and you play against them or get to draft them. It's just such like a unique experience.
1: I have one more question about playing the cube. Then I want to get into some questions about designing the cube. We have to address the question If for the pure spikes out there that are like, great, the cube's on Magic Online, but I really just want to grind wins. You know, I don't care about having a novel experience. I don't care about putting together a combo I've never put together before. I just want to know how to win at this cube. Do you have any tips for those players for navigating this environment if you are just hellbent on uh, on getting those trophies?
0: Yeah. So I I think removal and disruption is insanely strong in this cube. And it's been one of my biggest challenges in balancing everything is like making it so you can't just play the removal pile and win because if if everyone's trying to play these like synergistic pieces that require a bunch of different working parts if you can disrupt that in some way i think it puts you much farther ahead in terms of like being able to win the game um, yeah so- turn
1: one thought is pretty much the arch enemy of any synergy deck <laughs> it's like yes. i'll take uh part b of your abc synergy enjoy your a and c
0: yeah, so definitely Thought Seize is great. All of the like cheap removal spells are really good. Counter Magic is decent, although Counter Magic can be a little bit slow. So I, honestly, I think discard and removal is probably priorities number one and two. The The tricky part about that is you still have to come up with a way to win the game. I see it a lot of times where people come in with that mindset and they draft like 15 removal spells in a Snapcaster Mage, and then... I can they... spot the win condition there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> And that that gets to your design decision to exclude cards that can win the game on their own, which oftentimes those removal pile kind of control decks would rely on. They're going to want to get that late Planeswalker that, you know, it doesn't really matter what Planeswalker it is. If I can remove all your stuff and stick a Planeswalker, almost any Planeswalker will win the game eventually. Nice segue into my next question, which is, do you have a sense of like what decks that do typically rely on cards that can win the game on their own? Decks like control decks and decks like aggro decks. What do those look like in this environment where every deck does have to have a sort of synergistic engine is there still that spectrum of aggro to control that you find in other formats of magic or do you think that's not really
0: relevant here control is a bit easier to spot but i think it's a lot different than what people expect when they think of like control in cube because the first thing i think of when i think of control in cube is like wrath of god gideon jura jace the mind sculptor teferi planeswalker or whatever Mm -hmm. and that just does not exist in this cube whatsoever To replace it is more of like what you would think of if you were playing like constructed vintage level control or maybe legacy, I guess, where you have things like uh, Grim Lava Mancer, Young Pyromancer, Dark Confidant, like all of these like cheap interactive elements, a lot of burn. Ninjas, I guess, is a pretty good example of like a controlling deck where you're just playing all this interaction I guess it's more of, like, tempo, but it's control in the sense of the way that, like, Delver plays, like, a control deck in Legacy sometimes. I mean, Yuriko so sees say...
1: play in Legacy, so that's a ninja. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, Yuriko, things like that. So, I think control is a little bit different than, like, this tap out, play one solid win condition and win. It's more, I guess, kind of, like, protect the queen on, like, you have one win condition and you tempo them out while you get value off of, like, your ninja or something like that. That's one avenue to do it, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. I think Grixis or Esper colors are good places to look for things like, uh, yeah, Young Powermancer, the Ninjas, Welcoming Vampire, things like that are really good. I think the most close to like a hard control deck would be the lands archetype, and it'd be more similar to like what you're used to in a control deck, where lands first and foremost they probably just take a bunch of fetch lands, so you get all this like fixing kind of for free because you want fetch lands and duels to facilitate your archetype anyway mm-hmm. and then you can just take all of this removal and then your win condition can be something like field of the dead or titania like we mentioned before and make a bunch of elementals instantly gitrog monster can give you like tons of crazy amounts of value or you can win with like molten vortex discard a land card to do two damage yeah. to your opponent now that's a yeah, win condition that i love to
1: see in a control deck that's beautiful
0: yeah so like field of the dead we even have Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle. For like the super late game, there's ways to combo with it too, like Zurin Orb Second Sunrise is kind of like a build-your own scape ship, But uh you could just play it fairly because the the fixing is all duels, so it's pretty easy to hit the mountain requirement. So if you just play a control deck that's like a bunch of removal spells, some land synergies, and Valakut, like you can win with that too.
1: I've had a lot of fun with Feel the Dead in my own cube, and I feel like it plays two roles in my main cube, and that is both the kind of you know, synergy or combo-oriented Field of the Dead uh, people are familiar with from Standard and Historic, where you're getting it with Primeval Titan or you're getting it with Golos and then just kind of turning it into a very powerful engine. But there's also just the control deck that plays very few threats, and one of them is Field of the Dead, and you just, yeah, I'm going to keep removing your stuff and eventually I can get to the late game, and I'm just going to make two twos until you're dead.
0: Yeah, I think that's as close to like hard control as this cube can get, is just doing that. And then I think the the last one I'll mention is just Luris of the Dream Den, Having that as your companion, you could just play, like, four Thought Season, 15 Lightning Bolts or whatever. You'll need some other things, too, because Luris doesn't win the game on its own. But, like, breaking down your opponent with removal and disruption until they're Hellbent, you play Luris. That's a pretty good late-game condition as well.
1: Then you just kill him with Pyrite Bomb. That's exactly what you're supposed to do in this cube, I think.
0: Yeah, It happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I mean, I like Pyrite Bomb a lot. I play that card, and, uh, you know, it's a great piece with Luris. Just keep doing it over and over again.
0: Yeah. So that's for control. For aggro, I think aggro is quite a bit different than you would expect in a normal cube. Well, the easiest one is Artifact aggro. I think that one's pretty straightforward. You just play like Ginger Brute, Signal Pass. The modular cards. The modular cards, Steel Overseer, etched Champion, and all that stuff. And you just beat face with those. So that's kind of like a a no-brainer deck. It's a very good deck as well. But then you get like these weird kind of sub-synergies where like the discard deck can actually play out like an aggressive deck. One's featuring... My favorite card, Anger, which is if it's in your graveyard and you have a mountain, creatures you control have haste. So you can, like, put this in your graveyard and give, every- give everything haste, and then you can just start, like, throwing these massive creatures at your opponent. Like, Territorial Kavu mm. is a red-green. Power toughness is equal to the number of land types among lands you control. So, like, if you get a Triome, he's suddenly, like, a 4-4 or a 5-5 on turn two. So, like, you can play him, and then he starts discarding hard. You can play something like Angie's Ravager, which is a 3-3, which is pretty big. You can play the Blazing Root Walla, Basking Root Wallas on turn one if you have like Bizarre of Baghdad and those hit pretty hard. Vengevine's in the cube. So like there's like this madness kind of aggressive deck that exists like Anger plus Hogak also lets you hit for a lot of damage really, really quickly. But you're doing so in an avenue that's like, I don't know, I've never drafted that in a limited format before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, very different kind yeah. of angle to that. So it's it's still, you still definitely have decks that are Much faster, making life totals relevant much sooner in the game, but they are still synergistic. They're still combining cards in novel ways to put that pressure on, as opposed to just playing a bunch of one drops of power
0: and toughness. Yeah, exactly. And the final example of that is like the zombies deck. There just happens to be a lot of zombies that were in like the discard sacrifice theme, but they work well together to do a lot of damage to your opponent, too. So, like, just playing a bunch of zombies and beating face is probably the closest to like a traditional aggro deck that exists in the cube. But even that has its own, like, Scourge of Neltoth, card mm. I haven't heard of. But you can play it from your graveyard by playing black-black and sacrificing two creatures. And it's a 6-6 six, six Flying Zombie. That's a pretty cool avenue to go for with a aggressive deck.
1: Yeah, that card is very scary when you get to 2-mana 6-6. Six, six. That's basically a little murktide region for the Sacrifice deck.
0: Yep, exactly. And that's why I'm running cards like Rotting Rats. So you can play the Rotting Rats, disrupt your opponent, and then sacrifice it to Scourge of Neltoth and start going to town and now. then disrupt your opponent's life, life, total. life total with a six yeah. six fire
2: <laughs> it's really cool that we're talking about a lot of these like things that are iconically high powered like the synergies with black lotus and stuff like that i love that we also have these tribal themes that are just like yeah they've printed a lot of great zombies and if you put a
0: bunch of zombies together they work really well no i the zombies is kind of one of my pet archetype uh, but as i've been building it like it just ended up working that like it does work really well. Headless Rider is a very strong magic card.
2: Right, and like, things like Cryptbreaker obviously are fitting into this game plan of the, the discard and, and graveyard theme, so that's just a very
0: powerful zombie that can also build a big board of zombies all on its own. And it's kind of what happened with Elves too. I just wanted green to be not what it was, like ramp, I guess, so I wanted like this kind of creature-based combo synergy deck, and it just so happens like if you're playing a bunch of Glimpse of Nature effect, Elves you kind of get for free. And then you can run some really fun elves synergies as well, which was really nice.
1: Is there anything else we want to touch on or you want to touch on, Caleb, about playing the cube before we get a little bit more into detail about the design process and talk about that?
0: No, I just, I, I guess I just want to stress like the, the biggest thing I see people do wrong is going way too deep into a synergy and not thinking that your opponent's also doing the same and just prioritize disruption. Even like one lightning bolt in your combo deck, you, you need it. <laughs> That's my one tip of advice.
1: I also want to talk about how you designed this cube because you have a sort of vibrant Discord community at your disposal, and you brought them into the design process when you found out your cube was going to be on Magic Online and you know, did a lot of drafts on the on the server and were asking for a lot of feedback. And I know we have a lot of listeners that design their own cubes and get feedback from their playgroups. And I'm really curious to know, How you navigated this process of asking for this feedback from your community and how you like guided that. And then also just how you dealt with conflicting feedback or feedback that didn't make sense to you, but you were hearing a lot. What was this process like of designing this with a community of people? Difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Maybe let's break it down... Piece by piece. What was the first thing you asked? Just what? Yeah, I'm really bad. I
1: I would be a terrible interviewer. What I do is I ask questions with like nine questions inside of them. So I guess the first question is like, let's go
0: one by one. Yeah.
1: What was the what was your process for involving the community? Did you set out specific questions for them to answer? Like, how did you solicit feedback?
0: Yeah. So initially, I just used them. I have a tendency to like overdream or go into like magical Christmas land when I'm designing stuff. So I would come up with like these crazy combos or cards to add. And I would just kind of throw them in the cube. And I kind of used a lot of other people as like a check to make sure I wasn't putting cards that were just like objectively horrendous in my cube. (laughs) That was like nobody would ever play. So I think initially that's what it was. Because I'm very much of a throw a bunch of stuff together and then get rid of the stuff that doesn't work. And so I think people are pretty good at picking out stuff that's bad. But it's harder to like come up with stuff that would be good. Especially on like a large scale community type aspect so when i was leveraging all their stuff i would just put a bunch of crazy stuff in the cube and then if people would be like why is this card here it's terrible i'd be like yeah it probably is terrible
1: (laughs) the the other thing i've noticed just to like touch on that for a second is that i i don't know if it's easier to point out cards that are bad but pointing out a card that is bad is like a it's kind of like a position of power for the person saying that they're like no no i understand this better that card's actually bad suggesting a card is good is a little bit vulnerable because you open yourself up, yourself up to someone saying actually you know, that card is bad you don't understand it so i feel like i observed that same thing where people are more likely to print out a card they think is bad because i feel like it it feels like the sophisticated you know perspective because so few cards can be good and so like dragging a card for being bad is much easier than saying a card is good because you open yourself up to being dragged by somebody else
0: yeah that's exactly it so i basically decided that i was going to be the one who's going to be vulnerable and it it kind of sucks sometimes, right? Yeah. Cause you, <laughs> Absolutely. You're like, all these synergies I planned out, and everyone's like, this is terrible. Nobody likes it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I, I kind of got used to it over time because I realized, like, this is the best way to move forward with the cube. And most of the time, people, when they say Card is bad, they're right, right? Like, Like you said, it's easy to notice when something's wrong, but it's very hard to come up with a solution. And there's incentive for them to do it because it makes them feel smart or whatever. So that was my (laughs) like kind of stage one goal: is to just use the community as a way to remove bad stuff, and then I would kind of dream up like these crazy concoctions and throw them in. And over time, this process it took a long. I mean, I spent wait so long on this cube, and it's been through so many different like archetypes, but. Basically, what I would do is like overnight, I would come up with like this crazy plan of like this whole archetype I would put into the cube and I would change like 50 cards overnight. And then we would do a couple of drafts and people would be like, this card's bad, this card's bad. Or I would notice these cards are bad and we would remove them. But the cards that stick after you do this process over and over and over again are the ones that are good, but also like generally useful. And I think this process is a good way to identify cards that like overperform or they're good in a bunch of different archetypes. Because there's sometimes I add cards for like one specific purpose, but then people play them in some completely other off-the-wall archetype. And that's really exciting. And that's what I know like this card's good because it does more than just what I wanted it to do originally.
1: Yeah, you're touching on a point which we we harp on in the podcast a lot, which is that I think it's much easier as a Cube designer to just say I'm going to play the most powerful cards and we're going to draft my cube a bunch and whatever cards people don't put in their main deck or tell me you're terrible. I'm just going to cut and keep making the cube better in like big air quotes. And what they mean is they think they're raising the power level, but they're actually doing, like you said, is you're just kind of selecting for the cards that are the lowest risk, the cards that are good in the most situations, the cards that are just kind of generically powerful that are never going to be the thing where you look at and go, Oh, you cost me the game. And that leads to a very particular kind of play environment, which is, Kind of like, I mean, it's like the natural tendency of that kind of design, which is like absent a bigger goal. You have a bigger goal, right? Making these synergistic cards work. I'm sure people told you that Rotting Racks sucked at some point through this design process. There's no question they didn't. But you had a good reason to say, even though you think it's bad, I think it belongs because of whatever archetypes you're trying to support with that card.
2: Because you unearthed it and then sacrificed
0: the Scourge of Nell Toth, obviously.
1: (laughs)
2: Obviously.
0: That card's actually pretty recent in the design process. So, so no one's had a chance to tell you know. it sucks yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe it'll be cut in the next iteration. I don't know. But it's fresh in my mind because that's a card that, like, it does, it ticks all of those synergy boxes. But maybe just the base rate of the card is not good enough. I don't know. But I, to me, it does all the things you would want it to do.
2: I'm exactly in your seat. I also have a silly, very high powered cube, and this was on the list. And that's the first
0: card people pointed out. Why is this here? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest i added this card specifically when i was trying out prized amalgam yeah um, because it's like a one card enabler prized amalgam is the one that like if a creature enters the battlefield from your graveyard the amalgam comes back it's played in like dredge but like Running rats you can play it discard the amalgam and then unearth it to bring the amalgam back and i was like that's cool amalgam ended up being too like well it's like a secondary enabler which we can talk about in a second if you want but uh Rotting Raft ended up being useful in a bunch of other stuff, and I was short on Discard Outlets, so that's kind of an example of a card that I put in for one use, and it ended up sticking around because it's good in other stuff.
2: Yeah, I think a really critical thing that you're saying that's important for all of us cube designers is just like the the value of actually playtesting stuff and trying things. We all the time tell people, because a lot of people, I think, feel like creating a cube is... Uh, what's the way it's their magnum it? opus they right. have to get it
1: right they, they want to get it perfect, perfect and
2: have a good cube and everything is balanced and then they'll let people play it and that's a really challenging way to try and design anything and this process of actually just throwing stuff together getting feedback doing some play testing is in the long run i think just a much better design process
1: the analogy we've used before which i want to bring up again because it's so good is uh, i think you said <laughs> anthony designing a cube like that is like saying i want to host a big feast with 12 people and I don't want to
2: cater a wedding. I want (laughs) to cater
1: a wedding, but I don't want to cook anything ahead of time or taste any recipes. I just want to like plan it all out and do it once and never like actually taste or cook anything before that.
0: I love that analogy. And it is, it's so true. Like you just have to try bad cards sometimes because, or cards people tell you are bad because they probably haven't designed a cube either. And nobody knows your cube environment more than you do. So and like,
1: importantly, the context changes everything. That card might be bad everywhere else, but very good here. That is entirely possible.
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly true, too. So, for anyone out there who's trying to do cube design, the thing that I learned the most, especially in my case, I had like 20 people telling me a card is horrendous, <laughs> is uh, sometimes they're just wrong. Sometimes it's okay for it to be bad. Maybe they don't understand the context that it's supposed to be used in, or... Sometimes a card is bad because you don't have enough enablers for it. So like, right. sometimes if someone says this card is not useful, it means you should cut it. But it also means you should add more support to help that card, you know, reach its full potential or something like that. Or and potentially
2: so, cut things that counter or prey on that particular card or strategy.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a key point. So when I was designing this cube, I just kept removing and removing the board wipes because basically the mono like removal deck was so strong, you could just like your opponent plays all these elves and you cast wrath of god or like you know your opponent plays all these artifacts and you kill them all it just makes committing to a creature-based synergy deck so risky and so cutting down on the power level of answers to cards is also a really good way to help balance that so definitely a good point there
1: the other thing about players saying that a card is bad is that i have noticed magic players will say a card is bad and that's just a shorthand for what could be so many different things they mean right And a lot of those things, like you said, Caleb, could be that you just didn't have the deck for it. And instead of saying, oh, I didn't have the deck for this card, you say this card sucks, it has to go. Or you don't know how to play with it, right? Like, you don't actually know how this card is meant to be used. You've never drafted a deck that works with it. You might have some of the pieces, but it's just not familiar to you. And so it's unfamiliar to you all. You're going to say that card sucks really bad. Or you just happen to have a little bit of variance where, like, it didn't work in one particular board state. You have a grudge against it now. Now you say the card sucks. People will say a card is bad. You have to like swap out the fact that that can mean anything on this spectrum of like why people are unhappy with a card. It doesn't necessarily mean I've evaluated it in full context and decided that this card is not of appropriate power level for this cube. It's
0: just a shorthand for something else. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's the, the one thing I got is like I had to make sure that I got like secondary and third opinions of people saying a card is bad. I usually just put it to a vote. For cards I wasn't sure about. But it's like, if I had a hunch that a card was bad, and then five other people said the card was bad, it's probably bad. But if if I think the card is good, and two people say it's good, and like three other people say it's bad, then maybe it's a card that just needs more support, or they need to understand how to make it better. So yeah, bad is, there's a lot of nuance to what that means. And sometimes you just need to double down on your convictions and make the card work.
1: And something we've said on this show before, at least that I really value, is I really like playing cards that people disagree on. So if there's a card that 20% of the players that drafted say, I don't understand why this is here, this card is trash, it has to go, it's really bad, it's way below the power level. But 20% of the people that play it are like, this card is the reason I played this deck, it's really great. I will like optimize for that disagreement, because I think it leads to interesting draft decisions with some weird novel game states. So like I've dabbled a little bit in... Uh, soliciting community feedback on cubes I'm designing. And there's nothing I love more than someone says this card sucks. I and mean, then someone else that's not me comes in and says, that card's great. And what I actually think is yeah, the card's both like it does suck. And also it's good. Like I like agree with both of you, but they will argue about it for 25 minutes. And I'm like, it's not going anywhere because you're arguing about it. <laughs> this argument is making me that card is going to stay here for a long time.
2: My uh, peak moment as a cube designer was when we're, you know, doing a little post-draft debrief and one player says, this card is absolutely busted. I am never passing this card. I am always taking it. And someone else says, I will never put that in a deck ever. (laughs) It's like, achievement unlocked. unlocked. (laughs) Do you remember what card it was? I think it was Heirloom Blade. Does that sound right? Oh, who said it?
1: But they never never put it in a deck ever. It was Jay, so he's probably right. Oh, dang. Well,
0: one statistic. So I think I'm a bit fortunate that I can get like larger statistics of my, you know, the drafts people are doing in my cube and stuff like that. And one statistic kind of that we were talking about is the pick rate variance between players. So when I'm looking at the cards, I calculate like an average pick rate. You know, like people see this in a pack, they take it 10% of the time or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I do player-specific pick rates and I calculate the variance of that. So like maybe someone's taking this card 50% of the time and someone's taking this card never that's going to have a high variance. And so I looked for those cards as like these kind of controversial picks or something like that. And it just helped me in cube designing where like if a card is an overall low pick rate, but a really high variance, that means at least some people like the card. Yeah. And maybe the card's underdrafted.
1: Yeah. And what the like plain pick rate statistic doesn't account for is like how important that card was the one time you picked it, right? Like most of the time I'm passing this card over because it's a little bit narrow, but one time I'm in this deck and I see it, Pack three, pick six. I'm like, I got there. This is exactly what the deck needed. And that moment is not captured by the like basic data collection, but it's you know an important emotional moment that is something we have to think about as cube designers.
0: Yeah. And you really only get that from talking to the players afterwards. Because it's, right, like you said, it's very hard for that to show in the statistics of like, how excited were you when you took this card?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. You have to have uh, facial cameras that are measuring their emotions at every pick. And then you can you know, correlate that with the draft data. We could, we could measure it. It could be done. But we right now, the technology is not really worth it. We can just have a conversation with players instead, which is actually more fun to talk about magic then.
2: It is. And, and you're getting to a great point where like you can use those statistics to balance things and figure out if some cards are overperforming or underperforming. But that's not really a goal of a Like the cube, you can't increase the win percentage of a cube. The actual goal overall is to have an exciting time and get those exciting moments uh, and have players enjoy their decks. So that is really
0: something that is not captured by those statistics. Exactly. I think one card that embodies that more than any other in my cube is Academy Manufacturer. It's the one that's like, if you would create a clue for or tra- food to treasure, you create all three. If you would create like, a
2: game object, instead create all of the game objects.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's really fun. It's really spiky, but it it's kind of what I talked about before, like a secondary enabler or whatever. So I don't know if the card is like objectively the best card to have in a cube. But there's quite a few people in my Discord who love this card more than anything. With the pick rate variance stats that I looked at, there's like two people who have an 80% pick rate with Academy Manufacturer, Wow, <laughs> which is higher than like Black Lotus and Soul Ring and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, if people love this card that much, I'm kind of in that camp. Like Academy Manufacturer plus like Lonus Crypto Genius makes all your creatures create three artifacts when they enter. Like it's just, it's a fun experience and I'm just including it because of that. You
2: know, I was on the other side of exactly that in the Commander game the other night, so I'm off it personally. I'm not going to be in that 80% camp. Yeah, I understand that too.
1: So you mentioned these secondary synergy cards like Academy Manufacturer and Prize Amalgam. What is that idea?
0: Yeah, so what I've learned most through designing a cube like this is there's, this is kind of something I made up, but there's like primary enablers, which is cards that do a thing. And then there's secondary enablers, which is like, Cards that do something when something else does something. Um, I think the best example, I guess prized Amalgam is a good example of that. It's a good synergy piece, right? It's good in graveyard decks or whatever. But in order for prized Amalgam to work, you need two things to go right. You need first to put it into the graveyard, and then you need something else to leave the graveyard. And it turns out in limited singleton formats, it's oftentimes possible to get that first level of synergy, like this card is good if you can discard it or if it dies. But getting that second tier of synergy where you need like two things to go right for this card to do anything at all is really challenging and I I ended up just cutting a lot of the cards that like do nothing unless you're already doing something from my cube. Um, I think another good example is Idol of Oblivion. It's a two-mana artifact. You can tap it to draw a card if you've created a token this turn. The cube has quite a few tokens in here. Like there's a lot of things that make tokens, but it just turns out it's better to just play cards that make tokens in a token deck than like this thing that you need in play when you're making tokens and i think one of the biggest examples i see of this in like cube designs overall is with counters deck i tried so hard to get hardened scales the ozolith and things like that to work in this cube but it it turned out from all of my testing is like it's just better to play more cards that care about counters yeah on their own right right than play hardened scales because the decks that want hardened scales are probably short for like modular creatures or whatever else like that so that's what i mean by a secondary enabler is like this thing that enables this energy that requires something else to turn it on i guess
1: i have a cube with a hard scales archetype that i have bent over backwards to make work and I will say that there, specifically the creatures, the Winding Constrictor and the Selesnia one from Guilds of Ravnica that have essentially the same text are really helpful because they're also bodies. Because like you said, you have to be so committed to that archetype to ever take hardened scales over just a combat trick that puts a plus one plus one counter on something or any creature that cares about plus one plus one counters at all because those cards have a much better floor. If your deck is not fully committed, it still does something. It still might have a synergy or a combo with it. If you're not 100% committed to counters, then hardened scales might do literally nothing in a lot of hands in your deck.
0: Yep, yep, that's a good point. And there there are some cases of this where it's fine. Like, if your de- if your whole cube is based on counters and it's in multiple colors, like, you can get enough stuff. Yeah. I think a good example of cards that are, like, fine, maybe, or like, blood artists. Where this, you know, it requires you to be in a sacrifice theme and for things to die. But creatures are so ubiquitous that it's probably okay, like, you'll be able to activate it. So it just depends on the specific makeup of your cube. If it's if it's a synergy that's kind of across multiple archetypes, a huge part of your cube, then secondary enablers are fine. But I have been trying to avoid them in designing this because it, it just leads to a lot of, like, weird do-nothing hands or, like, last-pick cards.
1: Is there anything else you want to address on this episode? Caleb, I feel like we're about at time. I don't want to keep you all evening and also don't want to have to edit a two hour podcast. So is there anything you want to
0: cover though? I just want to thank my discord. I mean, like, like I said, there have been so many people who are so helpful with like drafting this, giving me feedback and all of that. It, it definitely would not have ended up as good as it is without all of that help. So it was my brain project, but there was a lot of people who supported me in like, playtesting this coming up with ideas and things like that
1: and we'll put a link to that discord in the show notes so if you want to uh join go over there and check that community out
0: come play some games with us and take academy (laughs) (laughs) manufacturer.
1: wait everyone has to go over and tell caleb that rotting rats sucks so that we can no no.
2: check that box no don't do that that's rude (laughs) i'm a i'm a rotting rats
0: defender here i think it's a good card and it has stood up to the test of the times so far but it's it's a card that i was in my mind like I'm at the very final stages of fine-tuning this cube, so I'm, like, just looking at under a microscope, like, is Rotting Rats good or not? I don't know, because it's one i added lately, or, like, I'm even considering the difference between Lava Dart and Forked Bolt, which are, like, very similar cards.
2: You know, I think even when you're sort of saying you have this goal of, like, perfectly fine-tuning it, because you're, you know, you're unlike most of us, actually getting this on a, a big platform. You do have, of, a, you wedding. Do have, do have a, a wedding decater. <laughs> a wedding decator. <laughs> but I think you do need to leave just like one or two little cards that are just for you. Some little special mark that maybe it isn't perfect, but it's like it's like you put your thumb on the rim of a teacup after you finish it. It's a little bit of wabi-sabi to make it special and make it yours. I totally agree.
0: And that's pretty much what all of the second Sunrise cards are. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: My vote is, is Dart over Forked Bolt for what it's worth in that, in that comparison. I got to ask while we're coming to a close here, Ariok Salvagers, was it in the cube at some point? Did it get cut for being too much of a combo? What's the story of Ariok Salvagers with this cube?
0: Yeah. So I had, I think I've added it three separate times now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it it was not that useful in the original case of the cube. And then, I don't know, like nobody picked it up, I guess. Oh, see. So you
1: you I got to go over there and do some playtesting then because I would love to just bomber man some people out. It's one of my favorite combos to pull off.
0: Yeah, I think what happened is I replaced Oriok Salvagers with Tishar Ancestor's Apostle, which is like a very similar effect, but it lets you go infinite like in a bunch of different ways instead of specifically with Pyrite Spell Bomb, Lion's Eye Diamond, and things like that. I think that's what Fair happened enough. because. As
1: long as you tried yeah. it, I just had to make sure you tried it because, uh, you know, that was definitely a pet card of mine. I'm looking at the cube and seeing all the pieces of the beautiful Oriok Salvagers deck, but if you tried it and it didn't work, it didn't work. That's why you got to try cards.
0: Yeah, I'm still maybe trying to work it in there. But the problem was like, we already have a four mana white creature top end for the artifact combo deck. And like, you can't really run two of them just with the way the curves work, like having two four drops that serve a very similar purpose kind of make your deck a bit worse. So I chose Tishar, but there could be a world where maybe I now that I'm adding like red sacrifice based artifact, it could make its way back into there because I love that card too.
1: Yeah, and I guess that is one of the cards that would probably have a uh, a very low pick rate. But if you were to look at the range of variation in that pick rate, and I was in the draft pool, it would be you would see some uh, some people prioritizing it highly. That's sometimes that's the card you get, and you're like, "This brings the whole room together. It's beautiful and perfect, and I love it." But oftentimes, it's kind of a four minute two four with flavor text.
0: Yeah, I think I basically ended up running like a junk diver instead, which I know probably hurts your soul, but. I'll it's know. a card that does junk diver, things in I, a lot of...
1: I have fond memories of playing Junk Diver as a child. I love the brown card frame. You're not going to hurt my soul with the Junk Diver. I love that. It's too good. All right. A <laughs> little, little brass pigeon. Come on. Oh, so great. Caleb, are you familiar with CubeCon? Have you heard of this event?
0: Yeah, I'm actually going.
1: Fantastic. I'm so glad you're going to be at CubeCon. We're going to be there too. We've been doing a countdown to CubeCon on the show, and we are 24 weeks from CubeCon, so it's getting closer. Check that out at mtgcubecon.com. And that's it for Lucky Paper Radio. Hi, everybody. Andy here on my vacation microphone to tell you that we recorded this episode in advance and did not know when it was going to come out. So we didn't mention it here. But these surveys for Streets of New Capanna and New Capanna Commander are both up. So check the website, luckypaper.co. There's a banner on the top of every single page. We'll obviously mention it in the show notes. But please get your survey responses in. Also accepting hot takes if you want to send a voice memo to me on Discord, Twitter, or to mail at luckypaper.co, and we'll include it in our community set review episode. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All the magic cards are produced by Wizards of the Coast. This show is produced by calling up Caleb on Discord and chatting about his cube for a good long time. Thank you for giving us so much of your evening, Caleb.
0: Yeah, no problem. It's great talking to you guys, and thanks for
2: having me. You're always welcome back. I think next time we can do a whole episode about optics or generative art and why it's important for magic, or maybe we'll just do another cooking
0: episode. Honestly, I, I didn't know you did generative art, and I could talk about that for a long time. So yeah. I, I literally have not in a decade, but it was...
1: You've done it more recently than a decade. Let's be real. You're, you're downplaying it a little bit. Not much. You did it on the Voxel site. True. That okay, was within fair. a couple years. He's downplaying it, Caleb. He's, he does beautiful work. YouTube would have a lot to talk about for sure. And you are definitely welcome back whenever you want. Just, uh, just let us know. All right, sounds good.